Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're delighted that you've joined us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your hearts and minds as we enter God's Word. Well, uh, if you have your uh, book with you for 40 Days of Prayer, page 91 is the sermon page. Grab your outline if you don't have that. Uh, that is in your bulletin. Thank you, Tim. Great job this morning. Well, uh, I've changed my sermon now. This will be this not today, but next week, the second time. Uh, in light of the craziness of the world in which we live today, we're going to be changing uh, the sermon for next Sunday. We're going to be talking about uh, uh, how to pray for our country and uh, uh, how to pray for the, the kind of world that we're living in right now. We'll be looking at that uh, next week. So all the music people can, can now begin to adjust uh, everything that, that's going on. Hey, uh, we're going to be taking out your Bibles here, and we're going to be looking at how to pray for the lost, how to pray for the lost. Several years ago, I went to a George Barna seminar. George Barna, if you don't know the name, he's a religious pollster. He, he uh, is like the, uh, uh, the Rasmussen of something, of, uh, of pollsters for religion or something. And I went to a Barna workshop, and man, there was all kinds of information that was given. Poll after poll, survey after survey, everything that's wrong with the church in America today. And there was just stat after stat after stat. You know, we don't know theology. 12% of people think Joan of Arc was Noah's wife, you know, and things like, by the way, she's not, okay, just in case uh, you were wondering, it's his sister, it's his sister, John was his sister, but, uh, you know, all this information was thrown out one thing after another, and then after all of these depressing stats about the church in America today, suddenly the conference was over, and I got in my car and began to go home, and I thought, Why do I feel so bad after going to this conference? And I realized we got all of this information, but we had no idea or were told nothing about what to do with it. It was just all of the information. And I don't know if sometimes that's how you feel uh, at church. I know it's certainly not how you feel after one of my sermons. But, you know, you might be thinking, man, we get all of this information, but what are we supposed to do with it? So this morning, we're going to look at some very practical ways on how to pray for the lost. We're going to talk about why you should pray. We're going to talk about how to prepare to pray. And we're going to talk about what to pray. And uh, so hopefully this will be a very practical, uh, hands-on type of thing. So get your pencil and something to write on. And uh, we're going to look at that. And we're going to start very simply with understanding why you're praying in the first place. Why are we praying in the first place? What's this all about? If you understand why you're doing something, it makes all the difference in the world. Every once in a while, uh, Dawn and I will be getting ready to go somewhere, and I ask the age-old question, why are we doing this? You know, I, I don't really get, you know, every once in a while she'll say something like, well, we're supporting so-and-so, and, and uh, you know, we're going to this fundraiser because we're supporting so-and-so. And I'll say, well, can't we just write a check and support them that way? You know, no, you can't, you know, get in the car, you know, or something like that. But knowing why you're doing something helps a lot. So let's begin with understanding why you're praying in the first place for those who are not in a relationship with God, for those who don't know Jesus. And there's two main reasons. The first reason you should pray for them is that God loves them, God wants them saved, and God has provided the way for them to be saved. God loves them, He wants them saved, and He's provided the way to save them. Now, the scripture that stands out more than any others is very simple. You've heard it your whole life, John three sixteen. 
For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Right here, you have two of the three things we've just said. First of all, there's not a person that lives on this planet that God does not love. For God so loved what? The world. In the Greek, it's the word kosmon. It's where we get the word cosmos. God loves the entire world. It's not saying God loves a few people. God loves uh, uh, good people. God loves Christians. It's saying God loves the cosmos. God loves the world. So we start out with there's not a person upon this planet that God didn't create and that God does not love for God so loves the world. So if you're praying for someone that is out of relationship with God, doesn't believe in God, or is away from God, you're saying, one of the reasons I'm praying is I know God loves them. Over in 1 Timothy 2.4, 1 Timothy 2.4, we're told God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So not only does God love everybody, God wants everybody saved. It is God's will. That is what God is doing. And the the way we see that clearer than anything else is through Jesus. That Jesus came and died on the cross to take our sins upon him. None of us are good enough to get to heaven on our own. None of us are smart enough. None of us know all the right things. The only way that we get to heaven is Jesus dying on the cross to forgive us of our sins when we did not deserve it. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. So God loves the world, God has provided for the world the way to salvation through Jesus, and God wants everyone in the world saved. So that, right from the start, gives us a really good look at, okay then, if that's the way God feels about the world, then we need to be people that respond in the same way. What are some of the stats concerning people in the Louisville metro area and about church attendance? Well, I'm going to give you some of those stats, and you might find them kind of eye-opening. 52% of Louisville, people in the Louisville metro area, that's, that's Odom, Bullitt, and southern Indiana, as well as Jefferson, 52% have no religious affiliation whatsoever. They're not members of a church. They're not members of a synagogue. They're not members of a mosque. 52% of the people in the Louisville metro area. Now, we hear all the time, well, there's no reason for me to invite anybody in my neighborhood. Everybody goes to church. Not true. 52% no religious affiliation whatsoever. Only 30% of the people of of the Louisville metro area are members of a church. 30%. That means 70% of the people that you encounter, 7 out of every 10, are are not members of any church group. Of the people that are members of, any, of church groups, only 11% of the people in Jefferson County will go to church on a Sunday morning. Only 11% of the people in Jefferson County. That means 89% are not going to church on a Sunday morning. And in Odom County, only 8% of the people go to church on a Sunday morning. So stop saying everybody I know is going to church and and, uh, there's no need to talk to everybody. Everybody has a religious affiliation. If you live in Odom County, 92% of the people don't go to church. 89% of the people in Jefferson County do not attend church. And only 23.6% of people say they will attend church once this year. That means you're talking over 75% of the people in our county will never walk into a church door in this entire calendar year. And then we hear God loves every single one of them. 
that it is his desire that every one of them be saved and that he's provided the way for that, given the life of his own son on the cross for them. So some very disturbing religious statistics. Those come from the Glenmary group uh, uh, that did a, a study of religion uh, in, in the Louisville metro area just uh, about two years ago. So God loves everyone. God wants them saved. God's provided the way to accomplish it. The task is large. We're surrounded everywhere. I mean, it's like hunting in a baited field out there if you're a Christian, okay? You know, you can't walk down the street without finding people who have no idea about God, and we think everybody we know is going to church, and it's simply not the case. So the first reason is God loves everyone. A second reason we should pray, understanding why we pray, is that not only should God love, God loves everyone, but you should care for them and be concerned about their present and their future. You should care and be concerned about people's present and future. Now, there's the, there's the big thing, okay, I'm a Christian, God loves everybody, so I should love everybody and pray for them as well. So our church should be involved in missions, and, and we should go around the world, and we are. Our church is one of the most mission-minded sending churches out there. We have all kinds of international missionaries who are members of our church. Out of 2,400 Baptist churches in the state of Kentucky, we gave more than every church in the state of Kentucky except 16 of those 2,400 uh, to missions. So, I mean, just unbelievable. We are involved in that. But it goes beyond that. It goes beyond God so loved the world. Because there's people in your life, your family members, your friends, your work associates, your classmates, your acquaintances, people on ball teams with your kids, uh, people that you're involved with at the club or at the Y or whatever. There's people that are all through your life that make up the 89% that we're talking about right here that God loves with a passion. But not only that, that you love with a passion. And if you love them, then you need to be caring for them. You need to care for their present. And for some of them, their present is that they're not living the life that you know they should be living. That that they're living a very destructive lifestyle. It's hurting themselves. It's hurting other people. And you wish more than anything else they could have that relationship with God and be closer to God than they are now. Some of them, when you compare them to other people, are living very good lives. They're the nicest people you know. Uh, it's, your, it's your uncle. Uh, it's your brother, your sister. They're great people. They'd do anything for you. But you know they're missing the whole point and purpose of life. And you're concerned about their present and that they're missing in life. But more than that, you not only should be concerned about their present, you should be concerned about their future. Now, we don't like to talk about judgment and hell and things like that much in church anymore because it's, it's just not, it doesn't sound very nice and we don't want to offend anybody. But, but Jesus, who is one of the most loving, caring people in the world, had a lot to say about judgment that was to come. In Matthew 13, verses 49 and 50, listen to what Jesus said when talking about separating the fish. He said, this is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into a blazing fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do we really believe that we answer for the life that we live? That one day we stand before God and we stand before God in judgment? Because if we really believe that, then you're going to be praying for people in your life who you believe are away from God or in danger of judgment. Now, people will say things like this. Chip, why would a loving God send anybody to hell? 
And the simple answer to that is God sends nobody to hell. God does everything in his power to keep people out of hell. As a matter of fact, God sent Jesus to die on the cross to make sure no one does go to hell. If anyone goes to hell, it's because it was a free choice that they made on their own. God is doing everything he can to save people from that. And so we begin to say, okay, if we really care about people, then we need to be concerned about their present and we need to be concerned about their future. When it comes to people in your life, your family members, your friends, you need to be concerned about their future and the way they're living it and what is in store for them if they continue to reject God and to live their own way. And I'm here to tell you that we're not going to pray for the lost and we're not going to become more evangelistic unless we believe both of those things. Unless we believe God loves them and has provided the way for salvation, and unless we love them and care about their present and the future, we're never going to pray for people the way that we should. First church I pastored was out in Trimble County, a little uh, country church out there, had about 50 people, and there was a guy in the church by the name of Webb Dunn. And uh, they did something is that every Tuesday night they went on visitation. And, uh, you know, I was like 23 years old when I started at that church. And I thought, there's nothing I can think of worse in the world than going to somebody's house I don't know on visitation or something like that. So Webb said, I've got a friend I want to go visit. And I said, well, good. At least Webb knows this guy. I said, Webb, I'll go with you then if you've got somebody we know we're going to visit. So we go to this guy's house. Webb goes up and knocks on the door. The guy answers the door. He looks at Webb and he goes, oh, my goodness. He says, Webb. Why do you come here every single Tuesday night? You know I don't believe in God. You know I'm not going to come to your church. Man, we're good friends. You know, I'll I'll see you tomorrow, uh, you know, uh, for lunch or something. But why do you come every Tuesday night? And I never will forget what Webb said to him. He looked at that man and he said, you're the best friend that I have on this earth And I love you more than you will ever know. And if your house was on fire right now and you didn't know it, I would grab you out of your bed and risk my life and pull you out of that house. And my dear friend, I believe your life is on fire. And you have no idea. And I'm going to come back to your house every Tuesday night until one of us is dead. There was a man who believed with passion that he needed to pray and care and do something for his friends who were lost. So why do we pray? We pray because God loves everyone. God has provided the way for their salvation, and that is through Jesus, and that we should love people and care about their present and their future. So that's why we should pray. The next thing I want to talk about, kind of transition over a little bit, and uh, that's going to talk about uh, the next subject that we're going to look at, and that's very simply, okay, how do you prepare yourself to pray? Okay, if I'm going to pray for people who are not in a relationship with God right now, how do I prepare myself to pray that? In Matthew 9, 36, we're told this, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus looked at the world out there and he said, man, there's a world out there harassed and helpless and I care about the world. So there's our motivation. How do we prepare for it? Let me give you three ways you can prepare to pray. First of all, decide for whom and when you're going to pray. Decide for whom and when you're going to pray. Now that might sound very simplistic, but you've got to start somewhere. 
So you can make a list of people in your life, family members, friends, coworkers, classmates, neighbors, acquaintances, uh, you know, people in your life who you feel are not in a relationship with Jesus Christ right now. Make that list and then say, okay, I'm going to pick two people. I'm going to pick two people and I'm going to start praying for them every single day. And uh, you say, okay, well, when am I going to pray for them? Well, you know, one of the things that says, well, it's easy if you're going to pray for two people, pick two people and pray for them at two o'clock. Okay, that's easy enough to do. Uh, So take out your phones right now and put in there two o'clock tomorrow. If one of the one of the youth could come up here and show me how to use my telephone for <laughs> just a second. The 29th, now I don't see any telephones out. 29th, 2 o'clock. This might, take, this might, might be the rest of the sermon right here. All right. 2 o'clock on Monday, I'm going to pray. All right, I've got it in my phone. All right, that, that wasn't that bad, was it? Now we'll see if it works tomorrow or something like that. Okay, so that's okay. So I'm going to pray 2 o'clock for two people in my life who don't know the Lord. So that's the first thing. Prepare yourself to pray. Decide who you're going to pray for. Two people at 2 o'clock. Number, the second thing, check your motivation. What do I mean by that? Sometimes when you're praying for somebody, you've had a bad history with them they're your brother or sister, and you've been mad at them for years or something, and you, you know, you've had all kinds of religious arguments with them, and one of the reasons you're praying for them is that you just want to show them you were right and they were wrong. You can't wait till that comes about, you know, and uh, that you get proven right. Check your motivation. Are you really praying because you believe God loves them, and you love them, and you want the best for them? You know, check your motivation. And then the last one, see where they are in the process. Salvation is a process. In 1 Corinthians 3, 6, it says this. It says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered, God has been making it grow. There's three parts of the process. Somebody plants the seed in somebody's life. They, they, they may be far away from God. Somebody says something that sparks a thought in their mind. The second part of the process is somebody waters. Somebody comes around, takes that seed. They, they do something, say something. Uh, they're, they're an example. And, and that, that seed begins to grow. And then the last part is the harvest. So you've picked two people. Decide where they are in that process. Man, they're a hardened sinner away from the Lord. They need somebody to plant the seed. You know, and so, so, you know, I said, well, you know, they've been asking questions and thinking about things. They need somebody to continue to water the seed. Or, man, they're, they're right at the point of accepting it. I don't know what's holding them back, you know, and you're praying for the harvest. So decide where each person is in that process. Uh, there was a, a, a man that lived in Virginia when, when I pastored there. And his daughter got married uh, to an individual who didn't believe in God, had no interest in the church, anything like that. And uh, so uh, his daughter planted the original seed because she got up, went to church every Sunday morning and everything. So I planted the seed. But then one time the guy's putting a roof on his house and his father-in-law comes over and is helping him put the roof on the house. And uh, he's, he's talking to him about, you know, uh, going on a mission trip that our church was going to take. And uh, so he goes in to clean up. I was taking him to lunch that day. And the son-in-law comes down and he says, that's weird. And I said, what's weird? And he goes, I was just talking to, to my father-in-law. And he said, yeah. And he goes, he's taking a mission trip to Africa. And I said, yeah. And he goes, 
So he's going to take two weeks of his vacation time and pay thousands of dollars to go work for the church. And I said, yeah. And he said, that just seems crazy. Why would anybody do that? And suddenly you understood, okay, there's a seed planted, but there's a seed being watered too. And so you pray differently in that situation for that person when you understand. So try to say, okay, the two people I'm praying for, where are each of them in this process of planting, watering, and harvesting? And so now you've seen, okay, why do we pray? We pray because God loves them and we should love them. Uh, How do you prepare to pray? And you simply prepare by checking your motivation, seeing where they are in that process, and, and coming to the Lord. And now we're going to talk about four things you were supposed to pray for. Know what to pray. Know what to pray. What should we pray for for this person? I picked my two people. I've decided where they are in the process. I care about them. I love them. I want them to know Jesus. How was I supposed to pray for them? The first thing you should pray is this. Pray for someone to be sent who can connect with them. Pray for someone to be sent who can connect with them. Over in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 and 38, Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Look at that verse for a second. What's the first thing Jesus said to do when people are away from the Lord is to pray that God sends someone to connect with them. The problem is not the harvest. The harvest is plentiful. We said earlier, look at Jefferson County. For Christians, it's hunting in a baited field. 89% of the people you're going to walk into aren't going to be in church this morning. Okay, 70% of the people won't be in church this year. And so it's not like there's nobody out there. The harvest is plentiful. The problem is there's not enough workers in the harvest. Now, this morning, in our, both of our services, we'll have roughly 800 people that are here. How many of those 800 people should be involved in the harvest right now? How many do you think? 800. 800. Every single one of us should be involved. And the place you start is what? Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his field. So you start praying, Lord, send somebody into the life of my friend, my family member. Send someone that I care about. Lord, send someone that can connect with them. And here's the thing. A lot of times it's going to be you. You'll get convicted yourself. But a lot of times it's not going to be you. Sometimes you're going to be too close to that situation. And you've got to be okay with the fact that you're not going to be the one there, that the important thing is that they come to the Lord, you're checking your motivation again, and you're praying, God, send somebody that can connect with them. Send somebody that understands what they're going through. Send somebody that can see it from their point of view. Send somebody that that they can can really understand and identify with. Uh, Send somebody, Lord, to them to connect with them. Rich Freeman is an evangelist who actually spoke at our church here about seven, eight years ago. And when he was talking about his testimony, he was a very successful businessman in New York City. And he said the person he admired most in his business was the CEO of their company, who he said, man, the guy was just brilliant. Uh, He was innovative. Uh, He was also uh, very good morally in the way he ran the company. And he said, I was just really impressed with this guy. He said, I didn't believe in God, had no relationship with God, didn't care about God. And one day he goes in the CEO's office, and he's sitting in a chair over in the corner reading a Bible. And he said, 
what are you doing? And he said, oh, I'm just doing, having my quiet time. He said, I always try to do that here in the afternoon. And he said, oh. And the CEO looks at him and he says, well, you seem surprised. And he goes, well, I mean, you know. And he goes, why are you surprised? And he goes, well, I just didn't think that you would be a, uh, he goes, you didn't think I'd be what? He goes, you didn't think I'd be a Christian? And he goes, well, he goes, why? And he goes, well, I mean, I don't know. He goes, do you think I wouldn't be a Christian because it's stupid that people believe silly things? And he goes, well, you're saying that, not me. And he said, well, maybe we should have lunch and talk about this sometimes. And this is what Rich said afterwards. It began to change my whole point of view because somebody I admired, not somebody in my family, not that you don't admire people in your family, but somebody I admired from a business sense was saying, man, this is what I believe. And he said, so I listened to him in a way I wouldn't have listened to other people. So pray for God to send someone that they can connect with into their life. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his field. Pray that for them. The second thing, pray for them to see the truth and demolish strongholds in their life. Pray for them to see the truth and demolish strongholds in their life. Look at 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. Understand, this is a spiritual battle. It's not a physical battle. And if you're going to fight a physical battle, a spiritual battle, you have to fight it with spiritual things. That's why prayer becomes so important. Because you are involved in a spiritual battle here, not a physical battle. We don't fight with weapons of the world. On the contrary, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, what's a stronghold? A stronghold is a defensive position set up to protect something. Okay, that's what a stronghold is. So what's a stronghold spiritually in somebody's life? Our scripture tells us right here. On the contrary, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So what's a spiritual stronghold in somebody's life that's keeping them from God? Arguments, uh, pretension, thoughts that keep people away from God. And there can be all kinds of strongholds. Well, the stronghold is uh, when I was was young, my, my mother passed away, and I've never forgiven God for it, and that's become a stronghold in my life. My stronghold is I I went off to college. They taught me this stuff. I believe believing in God is silly. It's not scientific. And that has become a stronghold uh, in my life. I believe all Christians are greedy and all they care about is money. Uh, That's a stronghold. I I look at, at people who say they're Christians. They're a bunch of hypocrites. That becomes a stronghold in my life. So you begin to pray, Lord, what are the strongholds in their life? And if you know them well enough, you can identify what the strongholds in their life are immediately. And you begin to say, Lord, help break down those strongholds. Help them to see the truth that's in your life. Demolish their arguments and help them to see the truth. Uh, I've already told you one Trimble County story. I'll tell you a second Trimble County story. There was a pastor out there at Providence Baptist Church when I was there by the name of Shane Nickel. And Shane was telling me, he said, hey, great story for you. And I said, what's that, Shane? Shane was a very, very upbeat kind of guy. He said, I went to visit a dairy farmer down the road from the church. And I said, hey, man, you need to come to church. Why aren't you coming to church? And the guy looked at me and he said, because I'm a dairy farmer, man. My cows come in and I milk them and there's no way I can come to church on Sunday morning. I'll never come to church because I've got cows. 
And he said, I said to him, okay, let, let you and I join hands right here out in your field. And I said, let, let me pray for your cows. And he said, okay. And he said, so I prayed, dear Lord, help every one of this man's cows to die today. <laughs> and he let go of my hand and he looked at me and he said, why would you pray that? And he said, I looked at him and said, because my friend, there's not a cow that's ever walked the face of this earth that's worth your soul. And he said, then I got in my car and my left. And he said, I don't know what his cows did the next Sunday morning, but that man was in church <laughs> that Sunday morning. There was a stronghold that had been broken down because a preacher said something that most people wouldn't have said, including me. Now, Shane was just that kind of person. I remember one time we went to the Dairy Freeze in Bedford, and uh, all I wanted was my hot fudge sundae because, you know, I was hungry, you know. And we get in line, and Shane happens to be in front of me. And the guy says, can I help you? And Shane says, I can help you. Do you know Jesus? And I said, before you answer that, will you get me a hot fudge sundae, you know, (laughs) and then you two can do what you want the rest of the afternoon here or something like that. So, you know, that's kind of person Shane was. But who was going to connect to that person is my point. It had to be somebody like that. That's what you're praying. Lord, send somebody they can connect with. Help them to demolish the stronghold they built in your life. The third thing that you should pray. Pray that they will see their need for God and respond to him. Pray they'll see their need for God and respond to him. That's, that's close to the, to the second one. But the second one is to demolish the stronghold. But then when the stronghold is demolished, that they begin to see their need for God. In Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, in Acts 2.37, it says this, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? They were cut to the heart. They begin to look at their lives, and they begin to see their need for God. And you're praying, Lord, demolish that stronghold. Open their eyes that they may see their need for you. You begin to pray that for those people, and you pray it sincerely. Sometimes that only happens when people hit rock bottom, and they begin to look at their life and see the mess they made. I remember at a a previous church where I pastored, uh, a young man came into my office. He's only 25 years old been married about two years, just had a little baby uh, with his wife. His wife was a school teacher in town, graduated, got a job teaching school. He was in a start, uh, uh, just started with a company in town. He came in and he told me, man, my wife's left me, taking my baby, and I've lost my job. And I said, what happened? And he said, I never grew up. I was 22 and graduated, and all I wanted to do from 23 to 25 is go out with my friends and party and have a good time, and I thought I was having fun, and I was destroying my whole life, and I don't know how to get back with my wife, and I don't know how to get my baby back again, and I don't know what to do about a job, and it's all because I thought I was having fun, and all I was doing was hurting myself and everybody around me. There's a man that finally saw a stark, real truth. And it wasn't pleasant. But we need to be praying for people to see the truth about where they are. And that brings us to the last thing that we should pray about. And that's this, or the last thing we should do in our prayer. Start now and never give up. Start now and never give up. Continue to pray for people and never stop praying for them. 1 Peter 3, 9 says this. 
The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. He is patient with you. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. God loves and cares for everyone. He wants everyone saved. He's patient, and we need to be the same. We need to be patient and pray and pray and pray. Maybe they're at the point where the seed's just been planted. It's going to be a long time before the harvest. And another thing you need to know that's hard to hear is that God forces nobody to love him. You can pray for somebody your entire life, and they may never come to God, even though strongholds have been demolished, they've seen the truth. People make their own decisions, and God forces nobody to do anything, but you never stop praying. Remember last summer uh, when the soccer players were trapped in the cave for 18 days and it seemed like that they weren't going to get them. There's no way they were going to be helped. But they kept trying and trying and trying until they finally got them out. Why did they keep doing that when it looked hopeless? Because it was too important. And so you never give up because it's too important. You keep going, you keep pushing, you keep trying. There's a man, a former church where I pastored who... Uh, wife was very involved in our church. He didn't believe in God at all. Very intelligent guy, uh, very good education. And uh, his wife planted a seed, prayed for him constantly. And then his wife died of a brain hemorrhage just instantly while she was teaching school. And at the funeral, one of the things he said to me was, you know, I've never believed in God, but I can guarantee you this. If I ever had a thought of believing, there's no way I would ever believe now. Because my wife was the best person I've ever known, the most dedicated person that God I've ever known, and she just falls over dead in the classroom. No way I'd ever believe in God. Well, he got married again later to one of their friends uh, who also happened to be a member of our church. He was making bad choices there for his his, thing. And she starts praying for him. Well, she was very involved in our vacation Bible school, and we did finally a just huge vacation Bible school at the church. And... uh, Things went really well, but there was a lot of criticism because the church had never seen that kind of big uh, children's thing before. And some of the criticism was things like it was called Sun Country Farm. I don't know if you ever heard that was what the Bible said. But uh, they had this cutout of a pig. And one of the deacons said at the deacons meeting, they had an unclean animal, a pig, on the Lord's sanctuary. And, you know, and I was going to So after Bible school, we're sitting around. Uh, at uh, their house, and we're all whining about how everybody was complaining about Bible school. And this man who didn't believe in God came and sat down and joined the conversation and said, why are you all talking like this? This was a great week. My kids learned so much. You all worked so hard. So a few people that don't quite get it say a few things. Look at what happened this week. And suddenly we begin to think, well, where's he coming from, you know? And it wasn't a month later he came and sat down in my office and said, I need to talk to you. And we talked to him, and he talked to me about God, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ there on the moment. And you know what else? Oh, after Don and I had left that church, I guess 10 years later, he became a missionary in Africa where he is serving at this time. His wife prayed for him. And his wife died, never knowing anything, but planted a seed that is growing to this very day. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you that you love us so much.
Help us to realize you don't just love us, you love everyone. Help us to love and care for people and to never give up on them, Lord, because it's just too important. Help us to begin to pray and to keep praying, Lord, because we know you love them and we love them as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we come to this time of invitation, and I hope the main thing you do during this invitation is that you say, I'm going to start praying for somebody right now, and you begin to pray for them. If you want to do the two of two, do that. Two of two. I'm going to call every one of you tomorrow. I'm going to take a picture here. I don't know how to do that. One of y'all show me how to do that. For you to, and, uh, and, and call you all tomorrow. Make sure you're praying at 2 o'clock. Okay, so say, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for people in my life. I understand what to do, how to do. I'm going to start praying for them right now. I hope you do that during this time. If you want to come and pray at the altar today and just pray for people in your life right now who need the Lord, give that to them. You come, you can do that. Pray about needs and troubles that you have. Got ministers who love to pray with you. But we've talked today about God loving you, God caring for you and providing the way. You can come today and walk down the aisle and say, I want Jesus Christ in my life and follow him and find what this life is really all about. You can do that this morning. This is your time and your opportunity, though, as we stand together and we sing. Continue to pray. Don't give up. Start praying and start today. Uh, Two o'clock ain't come yet, so you've still got got time to get ready. Hey, our biggest outreach of the year is our fall festival. That's this uh, Wednesday night, and uh, it looks like it's going to rain. It will be in the gym. When it's in the gym and we're cramped and uh, it's raining, it's our biggest attendance because people can't get out and go other places and so we get we get swamped so Jeannie's going to need a lot of volunteers so just uh uh if you will please volunteer if you haven't already done so she's got a lot of candy a lot of a lot of trunks she needs volunteers and Sean if you'll do me a favor Sean raise your hand there Sean is our intern yeah yeah, that's Sean and uh uh the other intern Sean yeah yeah uh if you will go to the welcome center and get a piece of paper from somebody and well, just sign up at the Welcome Center, and Sean will be there and uh, help you sign up. But Jeannie needs more volunteers. We need more people since it's going to be in the gym. So if you haven't volunteered for Fall Festival on Wednesday, please volunteer because we don't want Sean to be lonely uh, out at the Welcome Center when he gets there. Uh, let's go a little over the prayer for a good. Father, help us today to start praying for people in our life that we love and that we care for. Help us to realize how important it is that we pray for them. Father, I just pray that as we go out now that each person in this room would say, that's something I can do. Uh, I can start praying and I can start praying now. Uh, the largest churches are churches that pray for people to come to know you. Help us to become one of those praying churches. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Keyword, mywrbc. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m., We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening and join us next week for another message from God's Word.